Amen. Well, good morning. How are you guys? My name is Dave Wilcock. As Doug said, it's a pleasure to be with you this morning and speaking about the life of Joseph. And I am very appreciative for that video that we had this morning because the life of Joseph spans 14 chapters <laughs> in the book of Genesis. It's the longest story in the book of Genesis, which has to be significant, right? When you think about the characters, Adam and Eve, Abraham, Isaac, Noah, Jacob, all these great characters of Scripture, Moses chooses to spend most time on the life of Joseph, and I think that is significant. And in chapter 50, as is mentioned in the video, we kind of have the, the climax of this, this story where the context of, of this hell that Joseph has endured in his life, and yet we see this stunning interaction he has with his brothers at the end in chapter 50, verses 15 through 21, where it says this, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said to one another, if Joseph is holding a grudge against us, he will certainly repay us for all the suffering we have caused him. So they sent this message to Joseph, before he died, your father gave a command, say this to Joseph, please forgive your brother's transgression and their sin, the suffering they caused you. Therefore, please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when their message came to him. His brothers also came to him, bowed down before him, and said, We are your slaves. But Joseph said to them, Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You planned evil against me. God planned it for good to bring about the present result, the survival of many people. Therefore, don't be afraid. I will take care of you and your children. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. <laughs> it's just an amazing interaction that Joseph has after all that he's been through. I was thinking about this this week. I was thinking about a story as I was reading through the, these passages. I was thinking about a story I remember. Some of you may know the author, Philip Yancey. Uh, he's a Christian author. And he tells a story about being a, a chess player when he was in high school. And he became very good chess player competitively in high school, won tournaments, and he got very good at it. And then after high school, he kind of let it go for a while and didn't play. And then after a period of time had passed, he decided to pick it up again. And he ended up playing against somebody who had never dropped the practice of playing chess and learning about chess and had become a master chess player. And Philip describes the awe that he experienced as he played against this master chess player, and it didn't seem to matter what gambits he made, what moves he made. It all seemed to just play into what the master chess player had planned all along, and he could not win. No matter what moves he made, it didn't seem to phase the master chess player at all. And the master chess player would always win. And this is a little bit analogous to what we see playing out, I think, in the story of Joseph, where we see the sins of man and the purposes of God all colliding together in this soup over these 14 chapters. And God operating in this mind-boggling fashion to accomplish His purposes on multiple levels through this intersection that happens in Joseph's life. On one level, it's Joseph's life. It's just the story, right, of Joseph's life. God gives him a dream where he um, 
uh, he receives this dream from God, and then he, he, it seems like, I don't want to say that he's, he's proud or whatever, but he receives these dreams from God that, where his brothers are going to bow to him, and maybe it's just naivety, but he sort of flaunts them to his, his brothers. And I'm not sure what it was that he was expecting to come after that, but they hated him because their father already favored him, and now he's flaunting these dreams, and they hate him. And whatever it was he was expecting, I'm sure it was not to be human trafficked into slavery by his own family. I'm sure that is not what he was expecting. And yet there seems to be some type of insight that Joseph has into how God works that allows him to overcome these circumstances that unfold in his life. And he endures through betrayal and slavery and the false accusations and imprisonment broken promises and abandonment, somehow he's able to keep the faith through all of that and continue to believe and to serve God. And as I was reading through these chapters numerous times and thinking about them, what I was looking for is how. How did he do it? What was it that Joseph did? And it just doesn't say. (laughs) It just doesn't say how he does it. But you get a couple of glimpses in a few passages that make it safe to say, I think, that it's because Joseph knew the backstory. It's because he knew who God was. He knew how God acts. Because he knew what God had done in the past. It allowed him to have faith that God would fulfill his promises to him as well. Joseph has this incredible family history that he is very aware of. His great-grandparents, Abraham and Sarah, he he knows the story of the miraculous child that they received. He knows about their deliverance from Egypt and, and the war that Abraham won with God's help. He knows about his grandfather, Isaac, who's still alive when Joseph is sold into slavery. This is living history for Joseph. Isaac, the ram that was provided to spare Isaac's life, from sacrifice. He knows about his father, Jacob, and his struggles with dysfunctional family and Laban and all the struggles that he went through. He knows about Jacob that we talked about last week, wrestling with God and receiving the promise from God. Joseph knows all these things. He knows the promises that have been passed down and how how God has worked in their family. He knows that God promised to make them a great nation. That he'd promised them a land to dwell in. And he also knew that he had promised, God had promised Abraham that they would suffer for 400 years before God would deliver them into the land. And this is one of those points in the story where we see, we get a little insight into how Joseph thinks. Because Joseph believes beyond all doubt that God will deliver them after those 400 years. In Genesis 50, he says to his brothers, he says, Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will certainly come to your aid and bring you up from this land, to the land he swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So Joseph made the sons of Israel take an oath. When God comes to your aid, you are to carry my bones up from here. Joseph knows that's 200 years in the future. But he believes it with all his heart because of what he knows God has done in their family, that he will bring them up 
out of the land of Egypt and take my bones with you when you go. God, Joseph has this meta-narrative in his mind as he's going through these circumstances that are unfolding in his life. And like his great-grandfather, Abraham, he believes God. He believes God will do it. And he acts in obedience. All the more so because he has seen this master chess player and how he has worked in the family of his own life over these past several generations. And he's seen how in incredible dysfunction, everything goes sideways in all the generations before him. Everything goes wrong. And yet somehow God comes through to deliver the wind, to deliver the promises that he had made to them. And his purposes were always accomplished. And God was always faithful to the covenant no matter what had happened in their family. And we see, so that's playing out just in this one level of Joseph's life. But God's moving on multiple levels in this story. There's this convergence happening in the life of Joseph. And we see as these as his brothers commit this grievous sin of selling him into slavery, and then God is also moving himself ahead of them and weaving this story together in an incredible way to accomplish his purposes. In Psalm 105, verses 16 and 17, it says, He, God, called down famine against the land. God destroyed the food supply. God called down the famine. But he'd sent a man ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. And so through, even through these grievous sins of men, God is working his plan and going ahead of them in order to accomplish the purposes of Joseph's individual dreams and his individual life, but also on another level to be faithful to the promises and to the covenant that he had made to Joseph's great-grandfather, Abraham that he would multiply them and make a great nation. And through these incredible circumstances, he brings them to Egypt. And up to this point in history, he had just told them to multiply. He had promised them to multiply. But until they end up in slavery in Egypt, this is when it happens. They begin to multiply. As we begin to see in the book of Exodus, in the next book, how they become a great nation there in Egypt. And this is now the turning point in the story of God's people happening through the life of Joseph on this other level. And then even on the, a, a third level, on this macro level, God is working out through the life of Joseph the preservation of the seed of the Messiah so that he could save and redeem the whole world. In Genesis 49, as Joseph's father Jacob is dying. He says these words as he's praying over the children. He says, Judah, your brothers will praise you. Your hand will be on the necks of your enemies. Your father's sons, Joseph's brothers, will bow down to you. They will bow down to Judah. Judah is a young lion. My son, you return from the kill. He crouches. He lies down like a lion or lioness. Who dares to rouse him? The scepter will not depart from Judah or the staff from between his feet until he whose right it is comes and the obedience of the peoples or of the nations belongs to him. And so ultimately, on a whole other level, this story is about Judah. 
and the preservation of Judah, from whom the Messiah would come to save the whole world. So God's working to accomplish the purposes He's planned for Joseph, the purposes He's promised to Abraham, and the promise that He will bring forth the Messiah to save all the nations, all here in this incredible convergence in the life of Joseph. Why does Moses spend so much time, 14 chapters, on this incredible story, this turning point and convergence in Joseph's life? Because it's the testimony of God's unswerving commitment to accomplish His purposes and the unfathomable working of His sovereignty through it all to do so. And perhaps Moses wrote this because here he is in the wilderness with the people and they have to go in and take this land that God has promised and it's full of giants and trials and tribulations. And they need to know these stories as well, that God will always deliver the win no matter how difficult the circumstances seem in front of them. And that they would need to remember as well the master chess player who's working in ways that we cannot even imagine. And it's the same reason I think that it's important to us as well that it was important to them because this same God, this same master chess player is the same God working today here. It's the same God at work in our day, in our lives, and in in our struggles and in our trials. We need to be constantly reminded that we too are like Joseph. We have an inheritance and we have promises, but they're often fraught with many trials and difficulties, aren't they, in order to walk into them. In Acts chapter 14, 21 to 22, I find it so significant that the apostles say this. They said, after they preached the gospel in that town and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, to Iconium, and to Antioch, strengthening the disciples. How? By encouraging them to continue in faith, by telling them it's necessary to go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. And one of my favorite passages in, in all of Scripture is where Jesus says in Luke chapter, chapter 12, verse 32, to his disciples, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, little flock, because your father desires or delights. Your father desires to give to you the kingdom. Don't be afraid. He's about to tell them some very challenging things they're going to have to do and go through. But don't be afraid. Because your Father desires to give to you the kingdom. He has a plan and an inheritance. And the sins of men, the activities of men, and all the things, the raging of the nations, cannot thwart the plans and the promises that God has. The sins of men, the raging of the nations, none of it can thwart the plans and the promises that God has for us. 
in Proverbs 19, 21. I think Matt used this passage a number of weeks back preaching. It says this, Many are the plans in a person's or a man's heart, but the Lord's purpose or decree, it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. Many are the plans of men, but the Lord's purpose always prevails in our life, in our church, in our world. The purposes of God will always prevail. You may have heard recently that there was a pandemic or something going on. Uh, You might have heard there's an election this week that people are hanging a lot on. You might have heard there's some racial tension in the country. You might have heard there's incredible upheaval going on in the church. And so I think it's perfect timing this morning for this message that we think about Joseph and his life and we lift our vision higher because when everything is going sideways, we have to remember God always delivers the win even when it seems unimaginable and we cannot see a way through. Can we trust? Can we really trust that God will weave this dumpster fire raging around us into His redemptive purposes. God's promises to us, are we rooted and confident in them? Just as Joseph was in the promises and the ways that God had moved in his family. In Philippians 1.6, is this true for you? I am sure of this. I'm sure of this that he who started a good work in you will carry it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. In Romans 8, 28, do you know, as they did, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to His purpose. And while we may wonder what's going to happen as a result of our election this week or as this pandemic continues to unfold and riots continue to go on in our country, we may wonder what will happen in this season. But what we do not need to feel is fear or anxiety or despair. Joseph was able to endure in faith because he knew the God of his great-grandfather Abraham, his grandfather Isaac, his father Joseph, or Jacob, who had brought them through many trials and difficulties. And it's because of this, Joseph was able to have faith that God would be faithful to him as well. And he was able to endure. He was able to be free of fear. He was able to forgive the grievous sins committed against him because he knew that God was at work in it all, and he trusted him. And so this week, this morning, will we believe again in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph, who's the same God today, here in this building, here in working in our lives as he was with them? Will we believe in the God who says he will take the gospel to all of the nations, every tribe and tongue? Will we believe In the God who says He's coming to establish His kingdom and will drive evil from the earth. Do we believe in the God who says He's making us 
into a pure and a spotless bride? Are we sure of the God who's working all these things together that are happening for our good and for His plans and purposes in our generation and the generations to come? Even the devil and his demons could not outsmart the master chess player. In 1 Corinthians 2, 6 through 8, it's a fascinating piece of scripture. It says, Now we do speak wisdom among the mature, but not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are perishing. Instead, we speak the wisdom of God hidden in a mystery that God determined before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood it. If they had known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. (laughs) In the devil and the demon's greatest moment of opportunity, God had become man, Jesus, and now He was vulnerable. Let's kill Him. Let's put an end to it. And their greatest moment of victory became... Victory became their greatest moment of defeat and victory for all of mankind because they could not understand the master chess player God who was at work to accomplish His purposes. And they could not outmaneuver Him. And the worst event in human history, the killing of Jesus, was just part of the plan that they could not understand. And like Joseph, if we know this master chess player who delivers the win in the absolute worst of circumstances, then we too can continue in these days to love, to serve, to forgive, and to continue in faith. And that's what I want us to meditate on this morning. Do we know that God? Do you know that God? Do you believe in that God? of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, who despite all odds, comes through and delivers on his promises. I'm going to invite the uh, worship team to come forward this morning. As it comes forward this morning, I thought it was just really appropriate that we take communion together. And Eliza, would you grab me one of those communions? I didn't, uh, I didn't get one. Thank you, Eliza, for handing out communion this morning at the door. Much appreciated. And as the worship team comes up, I'm just going to pray and then uh, we're going to take communion together. Father, I thank you that you are the God above it all. That you are truly sovereign and at work in ways that we can't even understand or imagine. And when things around us seem so confusing, disappointing, And we want to be full of fear and anxiety, Lord. We want to despair. We want to give up. God, we remember You. We remember You, God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, who delivers through the darkest dungeons, through the darkest days of despairs and the darkest circumstances, God. You bring us through to accomplish Your plans and Your purposes. And God, while we... We don't necessarily rejoice in having to go through many trials and tribulations, God. We know that you're working it all together for our good. God, and we thank you that through the death and resurrection of your Son, you have coveted 
covenanted with us, God. That we are in you, God. And that we will receive an eternal inheritance with you. Your kingdom. We thank you, Jesus. And we put our faith in you again today. In Jesus' name.